Well, hello, everyone. This is Rachel Amaday. You are listening to The Spiritual Exercises. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. We are going to talk about something pretty intense today. And so I would say if you listen to this with your kids, you might consider uh, not today because what we're talking about is pretty intense and pretty dark. But I feel absolutely called to do this special this week. I have been bombarded by content and information that is talking about this gods of the age that we are experiencing right now in really unique ways. And we need to have the discussion as believers because as Paul tells us, we are not battling physical entities, but spiritual ones. And I don't think I've ever before seen the spiritual realm being revealed as obviously as it is and it has been in the last decade, but right now it is particularly obvious. And I am so concerned that believers are not seeing this because I don't see the signs of believers understanding this, these particular truths. And so we're going to talk today about um, something that, you know, I've been listening to Jonathan Kahn's book recently. I have been listening to other podcasts recently. I've been talking to friends recently, all of whom seem to be really intent on having a discussion about the gods of the age and how they are related to, and they are the exact same gods as the ancient pagan gods that we see all the way back to Nimrod. And this is potent for today because when we see some of the insanity going on in our culture and we scratch our heads and we go, how in the world can anyone think this way at this point? How did we get here? To understand what's behind the material that we're seeing, and there are spirits behind this. And so when we talk about the gods of the age, um, Jonathan Kahn really lays that out this out very well. We're not talking about God himself, the actual God. We're talking about what the Bible describes more as the demons that are behind the images of the gods. Okay. And even in Revelation, the beast is described as having an image, an image that he works through that causes people to do things, okay? there's That's always been the setup, by the way. It's why God despised the images and said, don't ever make a physical image of me. Do not make an idol. I hate this particular practice. You do not know what I look like. You do not know what I am. I am far beyond your imagination. Don't do what the nations have always done. You know, when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, Egypt was using these images of their gods and worshiping at the image's feet, but they always knew it represented a spirit that was behind that piece of stone, okay? And so when the Israelites go out to the desert and Moses goes up to get the law and he's gone for such a long time and they recognize, hey, we've lost our mediator, 
it's not surprising that they stole a page from Egypt and they said, let's make ourselves an image of another mediator because that's what the Egyptians did. And so they made a golden calf. And we'll see how the golden calf parallels to some of the pagan gods that the Egyptians were worshiping and um, other cultures are worshiping. You know, there's, you know, I talk about... There's a theory that given some of the language I see in scripture, I believe could be true, where the um, Aleph, the Hebrew letter, first letter of the alphabet, the Aleph, was the Paleo-Hebrew of the Aleph was a uh, bull's head, and it represented the father. And so perhaps the Israelites really thought that a calf or a bull, a bull calf, would represent their God best, that that would be the best picture of him. But you also have to know in ancient cultures, the bull calf was representative of a God called Baal. Um, We're going to talk about the three gods Jonathan Kahn talks about because I think um, given so many of the books I've read over the years too, you know, and I can recommend a few of them, in a moment, but we're going to talk about Baal, Ishtar, and Molech today and how they're showing up in our society and what the signs of these gods are and why society has gotten so totally evil, just wicked in a way I don't think anyone could have ever imagined. Even secular people, even, you know, atheists probably could never have imagined that we would see some of the wickedness that I'm going to talk about today that are such signs and symbols of these gods. But a couple of books that I've read over the years that have been super helpful in the history of these the the culture and history of all the gods on the planet. Um, one is called The Two Babylons, and it's, it was written by um, a, a great historian and believer in the 1800s. And of course, the name is now escaping me, but um, he traces every single god every single major cultural god back to Nimrod. And he does a phenomenal job. And so in the character of Nimrod, we see a lot going on. But one thing we need to understand is Nimrod was probably embodied by Satan himself. And in that culture at that time, created lots and lots of gods to worship that had different characteristics um, based either around myths that were already culturally relevant myths or creating the myths around the gods based on their different characteristics. Um, Whichever direction, it's all Satan's work. It's all the work of, of Satan and his minions and then people agreeing to these concepts and ideas. But Two Babylons is a very interesting book. You have to take into account it's written by a guy in the mid-1800s. Some of the things that he says in there are a little weird, questionable. You got to take some things with grains of salt. But he has incredible archaeological evidence that he lays out and just talking about all the cultural gods. You can look, and we'll talk about this, even Eastern gods and Eastern religions have all of these themes in their pagan god worship. So and we're going to talk about those themes here in a moment. Another great book series that goes through the history of some of these gods and these ancient civilizations and then has some fun theories about how they could reshow up and are showing up culturally is a book series by Douglas Hamp uh, called Corrupting the Image. There's books one, two, and three. They are fascinating, a fascinating journey and a really interesting look at how technology um, alongside medicine and all sorts of other things are possibly going to be used by the beast in the very end along with kind of alien mythology uh, 
you name it, he's got it in there. It's fascinating stuff, but he does have a lot of archaeological evidence as to what some of these pagan gods, ancient gods were like, what they represented, and how people interacted with them. So let's dig into this. We're going to talk about Baal, Ishtar, and Molech. Again, if you've got kids around, I wouldn't recommend this for your young kids. As your kids get older, this is so incredibly important to teach, but um, for the little ones, maybe not so not so great. Kind of scary stuff in here. Um, again, I've been bombarded with content for this episode in the last few weeks. So I felt like, hey, I'm supposed to be talking about this. Not to mention my my own son has been asking to study world religions and where Satanism came from because we talk about satanic influence a lot and he kind of wanted to understand like how did how did the satanic realm get to this place and and by the way, a very important question given a lot of the satanic symbols that we see in entertainment and in everything else going on in America right now. So we've been doing a lot of study. Um, I feel like there's a real importance to recognizing the demonic activity of these gods right now in the United States. Okay, We are experiencing such an outpouring of wickedness of the ancient pagan gods and beliefs um, you know, another book that I have not finished, but I think he lays out a great case, and I'm going to mention some of what he does in his book, is Jonathan Kahn's Return of the Gods. You should, you should pick that up. Now, I don't always like that Jonathan Kahn has an obsession with America and always relates these these symbols that really will will ultimately happen in Israel and have happened in Israel. He relates them all to America, but what I can appreciate about that is that Satan always has the same game plan, it seems like. He's working the same way. What he did in the Garden of Eden was so successful that he really hasn't changed the game plan as much. He has changed the tools in which he does these things. But, you know, humans really haven't evolved. This whole idea that humans have evolved baloney since we were created, at least for the story of mankind in scripture, there has been no evolution whatsoever. We are exactly the same as we used to be, and our nature is exactly the same as it used to be. And so, Satan's very successful with these strategies, and he has just adapted them to the time periods and gotten a lot more advanced with them, in my personal opinion. Um, but one thing that Jonathan Kahn discusses in his book that I think is really relevant is wherever there's a the vacuum, something comes in to fill it. And I talk about this with my kids. If you're trying to replace, you get rid of a bad habit, you better have a replacement for it. You can't just leave a vacuum there. So um, it's why therapists and psychologists and addiction counselors are really careful to help their patients rid themselves of their darkness, but replace that with something. Okay, it's also why I think we have Bible verses like, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Once the evil is gone, that space has to be filled with good. Otherwise, that evil can come back and refill that space. And as Jesus' parable about the you know the spirit that goes out from the man but then returns sevenfold that space will get filled again by something and it will be not what you want if you leave it open and don't fill it with the lord so <clears throat> to our detriment i believe there's a time period in our country's history and currently even where we started lauding science and experts as our most important gods 
We, came, we really became obsessed with verifiable facts and moved the God of the Bible out of our decision-making processes. We thought we could stay an open vessel, atheistic, you know, not worshiping anything, which is a lie. You're always going to worship something. But I think we thought that we could allow logic and intellect to fully replace moral direction from an ultimate all-knowing being. Has it been a bad trade? You know, because of this, our country's leadership has made some very odd decisions in the last 100 years, like Operation Paperclip. I don't know if you know about this. This is not a conspiracy theory. These documents have been released by the government. This Operation Paperclip was a large-scale operation where we took in top Nazi scientists after World War II. So instead of prosecuting them, we hired them, and we used their knowledge for our own benefit. A clear sign to me that Baal had started to push his way into our society because instead of ridding ourselves of evil, we've decided, hey, you know what? It doesn't matter if it's evil, if it's intellectually useful, let's keep it around. That's a problem. It really is. That's a moral problem. And now what was once a void is being filled to the brim. And I think it's being filled to the brim with the spirits that are against God. So let's talk about these particular three ancient gods so you can understand what they look like in practice and start to recognize their work in our culture. Okay. Um, Again, these aren't gods, but I like that Jonathan Kahn, you know, and in some of these places, they call them gods because they were considered gods to pagan cultures, to the Babylonian cultures and Sumerian cultures and Mesopotamian cultures and Greek and Roman cultures. In fact, when Paul, you know, was writing and saying our battle is with spiritual entities, remember, he was watching that in real practice, in real life. He was watching the worship of these gods I'm going to talk about in culture happening in public. You know, very it was very religious, these religious ceremonies and religious entities, and everything was about the gods and the gods' mythology. And so Paul was seeing that in real life. Now, I feel like the gods have gotten really good at hiding who they actually are, but still gaining power from worship from people of them. It's just a little different in our society, okay? But they are spirits that have assisted cultures throughout history, through all of history, to set up images and to behave in certain ways towards them. And they absolutely are fakes, but they work against God. So I'll never forget, years ago, Y'all, y'all will know about this because this was a cultural phenomenon. The Game of Thrones, the long years of the Game of Thrones phenomenon. Almost every believer I knew at the time watched the series and talked about the series. Okay, Dave and I, not, I mean, we knew it was probably bad. We'd heard that, but we were just like, hey, we're the only people. We, we can't even have these conversations. Let's watch an episode. We watched one episode, could not stomach it. And maybe that's just because of everything I've learned about media over the years. I'm way more careful about what I put in my mind because I don't want to warp my mind. I don't want to be programmed. So it was really shocking for us because I don't think we were as desensitized possibly as some other folks in the culture. This was pretty much soft pornography at best, really violent. It was absolutely everything that I knew was both addictive and mind-altering coming in the form of entertainment that every believer was watching. And I remember asking myself, what is going on here? 
Why are believing people willing to spend so much time in mental filth for the sake of entertainment? just to get a good story. There are a thousand books you could read and a thousand of other movies you could watch. You need a good story. They're out there. Why? Why? I could not. The answers just wouldn't come. And I truly believe we have started down a pathway for a long time now, a path of worshiping money and entertainment. And all of that starts with bail, okay? Bale has been at work in this country for a lot longer than I think we think he has been. Now, that spirit has been here opening doors to all sorts of demonic activity, extra demonic activity, and we need to call it what it is. So what was Bale? If we go all the way back to the most ancient name of the winged serpent gods of Sumer, we find the name Enlil. Okay, so I think the most ancient name of Satan actually that has been found is likely Enlil. Doug Hamp in his books lays this out really well, Um, just the etymology and the language. And, you know, when you look back, that's probably the first name that we really see out there. Um, In the Bible, the name Baal comes up time again. If you've read the Old Testament, if you've read the New, you, you will see this God referenced, okay, this pagan God referenced. This is a God that the Canaanites worshipped and that Israel often adopted into their culture after kind of mixing themselves in with Canaanite culture. So, and every time Israel does this, they get in a lot of trouble. They get punished. God kicks them out of their land. God wrecks them, you know, after they start to worship Baal for too long. So this, this thing is old. So the Semitic meaning of Baal is Lord or owner. Uh, He was also called he who rides on the clouds or Lord of the heavens. In the Bible, we see Satan called the spirit of the air, kind of like the Lord of the heavens, right? Ephesians 2.2 says this, wherein in times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now, that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Okay, so... We have in Ephesians, Paul's talking about people have walked according to this prince of the power of the air, this spirit of the air. That's Satan himself, but it's also a reference to Baal. Now, I believe um, this is also, Paul implies that, you know, the spirit now worketh in the children of disobedience. This is a spirit of disobedience, okay? So Baal is attached to the idea of moving the laws of God out of culture, despising God's law, saying we don't need this anymore, so that the worship of profit and fertility and prosperity and receiving good outcomes can come in. And so instead of abiding by God's laws, there's this lie that's told that those laws are holding you back. You know, you would do so much better if you didn't have to abide by the Lord's laws. And that spirit, I mean, good grief. I think most of the book that I wrote, um, in reality, I could have said that this is a book about how the spirit of Baal came in and has even taken over the culture of the church, that we just want to get rid of the laws of God. Those are too nasty. Those are too hard to deal with. We don't need those. They're not nice enough. We can't attract enough people. If we talk about God's laws, that is kind of a spirit of Baal because that's what Baal comes in and does in culture after culture throughout human history. 
from the Encyclopedia Britannica, I got this, knowledge of Bale's personality and functions derives chiefly from a number of tablets uncovered from 1929 onward at Ugarit, which is the modern Ras Shamra in northern Syria, and dating to the middle of the second millennium BCE. The tablets, although closely attached to the worship of Baal at this local temple, probably represent Canaanite beliefs generally. Fertility was envisaged in terms of seven-year cycles. In the mythology of Canaan, Baal, the god of life and fertility, locked in mortal combat with Mot, the god of death and sterility. If Baal triumphed, a seven-year cycle of fertility would ensue. But if he were vanquished by Mot, seven years of drought and famine would ensue. Ugaritic texts tell of other fertility aspects of Baal, such as his relations with Anath, his consort and sister, and also his siring a divine bull calf from a heifer. All this was part of his fertility role, which, when fulfilled, meant an abundance of crops and fertility for animals and mankind. And fertility is always related to prosperity. Okay, so we see, you know, this. these were some of the myths, the Canaanite myths around Baal. Baal was popular in Egypt, and he was worshipped in Babylon under the name Bel, and became known in Greek as Belos, or Zeus, which is what you're probably familiar with hearing. Baal worship included sexual orgies, including perversions, which is implied from the biblical word Baal Peor, where God says that Israel worshipped Baal with these perversions at Baal Peor. In the book of Numbers, this is described, and the word pure implies that it was perverted sexuality. You know, the word, I think um, it comes from like a reference to the holes in your body. You know, let your imagination go with that. But that's um, part of Baal worship in ancient cultures. In India, we have the god Brahma. Brahma was part of their holy trinity in India that included Shiva and Vishnu. Interestingly, it is said that Brahma created woman to bring man down, so he created something to be lusted after, a distraction. We also have Brahma bringing death into the world. So this rings really familiar as Baal seems to have two spirits that accompany him as well. One is female and is also filled with lust and another is destruction. We're going to talk about those two in a moment. But many of these gods are depicted as old men with long beards or as snakes or winged serpents. And the winged serpent shows up across culture after culture after culture after culture. You've got in China, the Tang or winged serpent dragon. It shows up often in mythology. And many of the Chinese ancient gods are serpents of one kind or another. In Mayan culture, we see a feathered serpent god. And in Aztec culture, we have the Quetzalcoatl, which was the god of the sun and wind and air and learning. He was also a serpent. Okay. He was also horrific in his demands for worship, not only demanding human sacrifice, but this God required the tears of children. And so the Aztec people would torture their kids to fulfill this act of worship before killing them. It is so gruesome what people did to worship these gods, okay? In today's vernacular, so much of our learning has led our learning and our education and all these things that, you know, this God stands for and prosperity, all of this has led to, well, abortion, human torture, and new ways to kill or experiment on humans and destroy human life. 
Our modern farming technologies and our learning that was supposed to be so prosperous for us have resulted in too often the poisoning of crops, the destroying of seeds. We're looking at death and death and death and death. And the reality is that Baal and forms of this God and worship show up across the globe, but where they show up and when they show up, they always bring the opposite of what is promised. Okay. In the Middle Eastern myths about Baal, the idea of ultimate fertility came from Baal's union with his consort, Astarte, which we're going to discuss here in a second, but she's also known as Ishtar. So, of course, the followers of this god committed sexual acts and perversions to encourage this sort of union as they believed that sexual union would then help the rains to come and the crops to thrive. In America, I believe we've been experiencing a time of worship of money and prosperity and scientific and technological advancement that will, would allow for us to put aside decency, especially in the media. And, and then it leads to the sexuality, right, which is so overdone in the media, and it is done for profit. But there's also just an overwhelming worship of profit in general that we've seen from mega corporations, our leadership with its crony capitalistic behavior, the backdoor deals, the inside training, the money laundering through places like Ukraine, the list goes on and on. The worship of profitability has reached unbelievable heights. Among the laymen, much of what is consumed from these folks has been sold by attaching sex or power to the product. You look at the cosmetics industry, the clothing industry, alcohol, drugs, beauty, the diet industry, the self-help industry, or how about one of the largest businesses on the planet, the human trafficking industry, which is gigantic in the United States, by the way. Somehow, I think I'm making a pretty good case for a large-scale bail worship, right? In America, it just doesn't look exactly the same as it did in previous cultures, but it kind of does, doesn't it? I mean, please tell me how we haven't put money, sex, and entertainment above all else, even in our churches. It's too hard to call out sexual perversion and immorality because, gosh, we don't want to be offensive. It's too difficult to call out the worship of cultural gods that come to life at Christmas. And we still call the Lord's resurrection Easter, which comes from the word Ishtar, by the way. It's too difficult to call that stuff out because, man, people might leave right? It's too difficult to discuss pornography or drug use, especially in a state like Colorado, where, hey, people need their addictions, right? The fix is too hard to get rid of, and we need to be merciful after all. We need to be nice. Who are we being nice? Like, who benefits from our niceness in this regard? I believe these ancient pagan gods, these demons do. It's too hard to tell the truth because butts and bucks are on the line. People could leave, the money could dry up, the building project could shut down, the expansion of influence could be cut off. How is that not the worship of Baal instead of the worship of the Lord God Almighty? I'm not sure. I don't think there's enough of a distinction here. And and every every church is going to tell you, well, we do this because of love. We're careful with our words because of love. And that's I say be careful with your words. Have great words, right? Say things accurately and correctly. But when you're pulling your punches, when you're unable to tell the full truth, because here's the reality, you're afraid that people will leave. Sorry, you have just switched from the life-giving truth that frees people to the worship of money and profit. My personal opinion, okay? <clears throat> I might be being a little tough on people, but 
what, you know, when we get to the, by the time you get done with this podcast, I think you're going to understand why. I really believe this God, Baal, continues to poison us and to allow for other gods to participate as well. Other demons, we should say. So speaking of pornography and drugs, let's discuss the second uh, goddess on our list, God on our list, that I think is wreaking havoc here. Jonathan Kahn would agree. Um, and that is the goddess Ishtar. In the scripture, she's called Ashtaroth. Um, in ancient cultures called her Astarte, Anana. She was Baal's consort in Phoenicia, and she shows up as a warlike goddess in multiple other cultures as well, um, as a sexual goddess. Um, she's described herself in some ancient writings as both a young woman and a young man. Young being an uh, important aspect of her because you know, the worship of youth and the perversion of youth are attached to her. Gosh, we don't have that problem, do we? Hmm. There's also the concept of gender fluidity that is attached to her. She does identify as both a woman and a man. And when she's a woman, she takes on warlike or male features. When she's a man, she takes on feminine features. She is kind of about whatever confuses, wherever the lines can be blurred, wherever boundaries can be crossed or obliterated. There she is at work. And again, in cultures across the world, we find goddess worship and usually with it some sort of sexual perversion action or extortion. Around her temples, there were always prostitutes that would enact what would be referenced as sacred sexual behaviors, and this was encouraged as part of her worship. In America, Ishtar is most obviously associated with lust, obsession with sex, and all aspects of sex outside of marriage or outside of male and female union. And listen, we have this worship going on big time in America, and we have this spirit at work, um, you know, Jonathan Kahn puts it, there's a spell that's that's been cast over America. That is what it feels like. We have forgotten that we serve a God of life. And a God of life can see your generations, can see the potential children you should be raising, can see the future dozens and hundreds of children that could come from your line. And when you put a middle finger up to God and say, I despise growing old and raising kids, we, we worship youth in this culture. I despise having children because it's not profitable for me, it's selfishness. And I despise uh, being united to my opposing gender. You have just told the God of life who has commanded life to prosper and multiply that the very first command that he given has given it has no meaning to you. That is quite a rebellion and we are in it big time. Um, Entertainment. I mean, do I even have to talk about where this is happening? This is so obvious, you guys. In entertainment, entertainment absolutely has for a long time revolved around sexuality and using sexual imagery to hook viewers, to addict both male and female, and to make a heck of a lot of money doing it. Ishtar works hand in hand with Baal and opens the door for the destructive activities of Molech, which we're going to talk about now because I think Ishtar, Ishtar is incredibly obvious. And if you want more information about her um, and the history, Jonathan Kahn does a great job. Douglas Hamp does a great job. That, But that particular goddess, I think you probably know all the obvious places where she is perverting and distorting what God gave as male-female unity, which produces life, not just physical life, spiritual life. There's, you know, having your opposite be your partner is incredibly life-giving and challenging. 
but it's what God set up. And in fact, when he made Eve, the the language in the Bible, how he describes her is as something that is opposed to Adam, that Adam needed some opposition. He was going to start doing dumb things if somebody didn't step up and say, hey, that's not a great idea, or you could do that better, or what do you think of this? You know, and so, I mean, (laughs) men and women alike are out there rolling their eyes going, yeah, I know, that's exactly what my partner does to me all the time. But, you know, God set that up for a reason. We need each other. We need iron sharpens iron. We need something that can sharpen us. And God set it up that a male sharpens a female and a female sharpens a male. That that unity is the most, is the holy unity. That that unity is the one that brings life. And you can see it in the physical realm. That's the only unity that can bring a child into the world. But you can also experience it spiritually. And so there are people who can't have children and they're not in rebellion against the Lord. I mean, even Rachel in scripture, it took a long time for God to allow her to have a child. It was devastating to her. So it's not that um, having children makes you more holy. It's that deciding to live according to God's designated ways. That's when you are in obedience with the Lord and in relationship with God. And God has made that particular type of union 100% clear in the Garden of Eden. It's male and female. It's an adult male and female, by the way. This will become important as we talk about Moloch. So biblically, Moloch is associated with the sacrifice of human beings. The Bible tells us that children were put into the fire of Moloch. Children were burned to death for the sake of prosperity and according to those who worshiped Moloch. They thought they were going to receive blessing from this unbelievably evil behavior. Moloch always shows up as a bloodthirsty destroyer, requiring the blood of children. We find tests, and Moloch and Baal are very closely related, by the way. Baal and Moloch are kind of interchangeable sometimes in scripture, um, at least as far as what it seems like I've been reading. Might They might be two completely distinct gods, but they seem to show up together. So Moloch always ends up requiring the sacrifice of kids. And we find testaments in ancient cultures to wealthy families purchasing poor families' children to burn in the fire on their behalf. So the poor and the minorities were largely taken advantage of in this regard. And it was all, again, for the sake of prosperity and convenience, especially on society's behalf. Now, huh, what racist, bloody industry seems to do the same thing, promising an easier work life, more freedom for women, more prosperity, and especially for minorities and the poor? Hmm. Well, I'm sure you've all said it out loud. The abortion industry is exactly what is doing this in our culture today. I mean, again, you can you can probably just guess all the places this particular god or demon, is at work in our culture beyond just the grotesque abortion industry. How about what has happened to young people after Ishtar is done confusing their gender? Mutilations, drugs, in all manners, the gods of Ishtar and Moloch have worked in tandem to dehumanize and dice apart human beings. There seems to be unbelievably real evidence that satanic entities thrive off the blood and death of human beings. We see this even in scripture, you know, in in these places where it says, you know, that Satan's going to basically live off the dust of humans. There's something going on here with blood. Some sort of power exchange is taking place. So this is why I think we see Satanists are obsessed with blood and blood rituals. Pagan cultures are obsessed with blood and blood rituals. You know, we've got 
we have so much evidence that blood carries some spiritual power and value. And how much human blood has been spilt in abortion clinics? And now in hospitals with the chopping off of human body parts to appease the gods of Ishtar and Moloch. Seriously, this is happening right in front of our faces. There's a scripture that says that the murderous blood Murderous blood defiles the land of God. The land itself becomes awash in evil if the people are bloodthirsty, and the land actually kicks the people of Israel out of it. Of it, you know, Israel, the land itself. When there's a lot of murderous blood there, they kick people out. It, it will kick people out, which is such an interesting verse, actually, right? But land can become defiled by this. So I believe our land is becoming defiled. We're completely guilty. We are Israel offering our children to Moloch. But, you know, please, uh, you know, go ahead. Continue to allow Hollywood and Big Pharma and Big Food and all the other corruptors into your home, right? I mean, let the pharmaceutical companies make billions chopping up your kids and killing the unborn in tandem with Monsanto, creating illnesses and depression through the non-foods they tell you to eat. I mean, it's cultural, right? It's what everyone else is doing. How could we possibly say no to it? I'm going to tell you a major lightning bolt moment that happened in the last few weeks that proves my point here beyond a reasonable doubt. I don't know if you all have heard the story. It's kind of gotten big in the last week. Everything around a company called Balenciaga. Okay. This scandal basically revolves around um, a very high profile uh, elitist designer, clothing designer. I'm going to try to explain it here as best as I can and get into it a bit, but I'm going to tell you, so some of the photos that came out, they've been called out for some of their recent advertising. And I'm going to tell you as someone that does commercial work, that every single thing in a photo shoot at that level, I promise you, has been meticulously chosen by designers and meticulously approved of by the company. There is no getting out of this for them, all right? These ads include dazed-looking children surrounded by teddy bears in bondage outfits. Paperwork referencing child pornography court cases show up in the ads. There are children in red shoes, which has a lot of uh, really horrific um, degradation of children. Let's just put it that way. There's ticker tape in one of their ads that says, "You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna flip when you hear this." Bail Enciaga, spelled B-A-A-L-E-N-C-I-A-G-A. Bail Enciaga. You telling, okay, I'm, am I proving my point here? Literally spelled with the two A's, Bail and Moloch go together. You have children being sacrificed basically in these photos to pedophilia, and you have a bail reference happening, okay? Unbelievable. So you have high-level fashion equaling satanic worship, pretty much. You have quotes from people like Madonna saying, I am Balenciaga. I mean, and she, I, I totally think she's kind of a Satan worshiper, but um, that's just speculation. I'll have to go, you know, don't take my word for it. I'm going to go do my research, but from what I've seen of her recently, celebrity associations with the company include Justin Bieber, Kim Kardashian, Conway, Kanye West, many others. This is a very elite, high-level company, Okay. Who is responsible for this, right? So their creative director, Demna, okay, he also worked for Louis Vuitton. He designed um, a famous outfit, I guess, that 
is like a black rubber outfit that Kim Kardashian wore at some recent Met Gala. Um, and by the way, Glenn Beck does a really good job of digging all of this up. If you want to go listen to, I think his um, yesterday, the day before, he talked about this quite a bit. And then I went and looked some of this up and found out, oh man, it's really, really bad. Um, this company also collaborates with Adidas, <clears throat> old photo shoots from this designer group um, and creative directing group show a clear pattern of really disturbing material, okay? There's a theme of a recent ad campaign that features Nicole Kidman. And in one of the photos for this ad campaign, there's a copy of a court decision on child pornography laws in the, in the ad, in the picture. And it's right next to the handbag they're trying to sell, Okay, what is that about? In another photo, a man stands in an office in front of a diploma with the name John Philip Fisher on it. Now, there's conspiracy folks out there that are pretty much screaming that John Philip Fisher was a pedophile out of Michigan. So that, I mean, I don't know who that guy is, but other people are claiming that. And then in another photo, there's a woman who have her, has her feet up on a desk and behind her are books. One is titled Fire from the Sun. And this is an author who writes about blood rituals and child pornography. Why? Well, let's dig a little deeper here. The chief designer for Balenciaga is a woman named Lada Volkova. Um, Glenn Beck discussed that on her Instagram page, I didn't go there. I, I know you could probably look up these pictures. They've been taken down now. Don't. I'm just going to encourage you, don't go look at this stuff. Just hearing about it is plenty. But on her Instagram, there are a disturbing amount of satanic images and violence. There's pentagrams and dead people and blood and children and astrological charts. So she's a Satanist, right? Her favorite band happens to be a band called Cannibal Corpse. I'm not going to even tell you what they sing about. It is so, it, it, it is pretty criminal. Just violent, unspeakable things. This whole situation is appalling. These are people who have been advertising to us for years. Moloch, the destroyer, the bloodthirsty, wicked demon, is right in front of our faces. You've got the destroyer and the lust-filled woman and the Baal gods, and here they are running the elite circles we all know and love, right? The people that we we all, uh, you know, we pay attention to everything that they do, and we worship at the feet of whatever they wear, and this is where the Satanists seem to be having a heyday. The stepdaughter of Kamala Harris who's an androgynous young woman, happened to land a modeling jo job with this company uh, after Kamala became vice president. So we've got uh, political leadership attached to this. The Washington Post has re recently given a rave review. Okay, so now we're moving on to uh, other news, but that's just the Balenciaga scandal. And we got bail right in there, right? The Washington Post now has recently given a rave review of a play about pedophiles. They're normalizing the destruction of our children right in front of our faces. So the reality is that Satan worship always ends up going after children, always ends up going after the innocent. It always ends with death and destruction and corruption of the innocent. I know I've talked about this before, but before the rise of Hitler and the Nazis, the Weimar Republic was doing a lot of the things we are doing culturally now. They were 
gen- there was gender fluidity going on, there was sexual perversion going on, there was pedophilia going on at higher and higher rates, and there was a lot of wickedness. And what it gave birth to was some of the greatest destruction we've ever seen in human history. So I think uh, Glenn Beck asks a a really good question here. He says, why are pedophiles being released into the population right now in Los Angeles? Thousands of them are being released from prison. Why? I have to ask you the question, do you understand who is running things in our country? Do you? Do you understand why people like myself are begging and pleading the church to please return to the Bible and return to holiness? Because if we don't have a spiritual revival, there is no return from the destruction coming our way. If we do not decide to make our homes and family lives and entertainment spaces and Sabbath days aligned with God, if we don't decide to return these spaces to Adonai, they will never be rescued. We will never get them back. Because only the actual God can do that work. This is a spiritual battle. Paul had it right. We have no chance without Adonai. Your kids have no chance without Adonai. There really has been in the the history a time for winsomeness, for a witty quip and a little joke and a kind of patient, gentle hand encouraging people to do the right thing. You know, come on, you're in a bad place. You should talk to Jesus, get to know the Lord, right? Then there are times that are short. And the Word of God speaks about those times quite a bit. Times where prophets like Elijah and John the Baptist speak directly and strongly. And they say things like, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from the wickedness. Banish it from your homes. Banish it from your lives. And don't turn around and look at its destruction, right? I've had enough of the destruction of children in our culture. Haven't you had enough of the enemy coming after your kids and having the right to because of what we opened the door to in this country? And I'd like to know what spirit is keeping everyone so asleep and blind? What what spell has come over America that people don't seem to care, aren't standing up? I mean, there's a few, there's some. I know who you are. You're listening to this podcast right now. But there's so many people. Have you asked that question? What's going on with my friends who don't seem to know about any of this or even care when I talk to them about it? What's going on in a culture that is starting to be okay with pedophilia. What's going on here? My encouragement to you, find a congregation that preaches the whole Bible. Throw out the devices that cause you to sin or let evil into your home or mind. And it's not too late, right? Today is the day. By the way, we do have a Savior. We have a Savior that when He came, all of those demons had to leave. They had to leave for a long time because the Holy Spirit was at work spreading the gospel through the cultures. And Jesus was becoming the most important character in people's lives, in the stories they told. He still is. He still sits on the throne. It's just when as a culture, just like the nation of Israel, when you choose demons over God, eventually God lets you have them. I think that's what we're witnessing right now. And if we don't repent and do what the nation of Israel always had to do, throw out the evil. Josiah did this, right? When he found the scrolls, he took down all of the gods. He took down the Asherah. 
He took down the bales. He broke them all. He destroyed them. He banished the practices of these wicked things from their culture. And they turned back. That's really, that's really the only shot we've got. You know, we are just like Israel. And the best place to start is just in our own hearts and our own minds and our own lives. We should not stomach even one second of this programming in our homes. If you still have a Netflix subscription and a Disney Plus subscription and yada, 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 would you consider maybe not giving your money to the demons anymore? I'm sorry to be that direct, but really, seriously, would you consider it? Would you consider not watching the bloodthirsty violence that's put forward in our entertainment anymore? Because now that you know the God Molech loves that and he loves when people act that way and he loves when people think that way. What are we doing? Seriously. And isn't it time that we make a change, even if just to be able to stand before the Lord and say, in a wicked culture, I really did try to be holy and righteous, to be like my rabbi, Yeshua. You can do it. I have experienced so many blessings of the Lord in the last year. As I started this podcast, as I put out my book, you know, I have seen God change my life and work in my life because I decided to be more obedient to his call in my life. It has been nothing but a blessed, it hasn't been easy, but it's been nothing but blessed because that's who God is. He's got you in the middle of the storm, but you got to want to be where he is. If you keep reaching out to be in the storm, eventually you get to be in the storm. I don't want to be in the storm. I want to be on the boat. I want to be right next to Noah, right? I want to be on the ark. I want to be next to my rabbi. And so um, I've talked a lot in the past about the symbols of God. And I hope you go back to this podcast and remind yourself why the number seven, why the menorah, what, what are God, the light, you know, fire, why we see how God operates, who he is, his symbols, um, and how different they are than the cultural symbols and the cultural symbols of the gods, how different they are, right, than the symbols we see traditionally at Christmas or the rabbits and the eggs at Easter. We don't see those in the Bible because they don't belong to the Lord. They belong to other gods. But we have a God who is unique. He is holy. And so go read your Bible. Get in touch with what God is doing in your life. Learn his symbols and his ways. Now is like the best time to do this. Now is when it's become so obvious and so clear what we're dealing with in the culture. It's a spiritual battle. But God has already won it. I love you guys. I'm praying for you. I hope that this has not been too dark for you. It was pretty dark for me to see some of this news this past week, but not at all surprising. Not at all surprising when you know the very dark history of the spirits behind all of this. Um, And not at all surprising to remember that our God won over and over and over again, that when he came, he came as a light into those dark places. He banished those spirits from the places where they had such a foothold. And he will come again and do the same on our behalf. You are loved. All right. Until next time.